0: Welcome to the podcast, Inside Out. If this is your first time joining us, this is a story that you've arrived in the middle of. It's best to start in episode one. This is season two, my life inside a federal prison camp. Season one is the truth is the first victim. And it would be best if you started season one, episode one, and worked your way through. New episodes drop every Sunday. We're so glad you're here. This is Inside Out. I'm your host, James Catledge. Welcome aboard. Okay, I want to talk to you about my, it's not my cellmate, but he's my neighbor. Across the hall from my cubicle, this is uh, cubicle 36 where Steve and I live, is the camp seamstress. And that sounds like a female title, but this is the person who's in charge of the sewing machines in the laundry. And his name is Douglas. He's Vietnamese. English is not so good, but his uh, ability to tailor clothes is as good as Neiman Marcus. I've, uh, I've had some suits tailored by Neiman Marcus in the past. And I don't believe they're any better than Douglas at Taft Correctional Institution. Okay. So here's how I come to learn that that Douglas does this. You get issued three or four pair of khaki pants and three or four shirts. And these are your, you know, these are your clothes and, and, and you hope they somewhat fit. Sometimes they're too big. Sometimes they're too tight. Sometimes the elastic waistband, which is so five-year-old-ish, the the elastic waistband is ridiculous. And then there's these legacy pants that some of the gentlemen wear uh, that are duckheads that have belt loops. And the rule is the institution's all gone to these elastic waistbands, but they don't make you throw away the legacy pants. They just hope that eventually the guy goes home and takes them with him, and then everybody gets issued the same. So there's these few pants floating around that look, you know, a little more comfortable, okay? They're still khaki, but they've got belt loops, a zipper, and a button, you know, and, and you can wear a belt with them. They just, they just look a little better. Well, Douglas is across the hallway, and I notice that Douglas is brought back some pants, like, like a dry cleaner. He's brought back some pants and shirts, and, and inmates are going in one after another, and he's he's holding them up to the inmates' shoulders, and then he's he's holding up to the inmates' inseam, and he's basically checking lengths and it, like a, like a tailor, like a clothier would. And I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. I'm going to just inquire about this because I hate the way my pants fit. I'm a 32 waist. I'm a 32 inseam, and it seems like every pair of pants they've got there is any size but that. So I get them a little big, and then I I, I need them tailored. Um, so I approached Douglas. I said, "Tell me how this works. You uh, you you can tailor the clothes." He said, "Absolutely," and he gives you know with the with the beautiful Vietnamese accent. And I almost tried to do it there, but I I think it would be disrespectful if I did. So Douglas explains to me that he's very, very good at this and that it takes him one day to do it. So I said, well, how do I compensate you? He said, well, just get me the trail mix from commissary every time I I, uh, make adjustments for you. So that evening, I hand him five pair of pants. I keep one and I give him five. I give him five pair of pants. I want them cut 32, 32. And I want from the knee down, I want the, the, uh, the leg to go, go taper down to, to seven inches down at the shoe. I know this sounds crazy, but that's what I want. I want these pants to fit me and I want to feel good in these pants. So I give him those measurements. He likes it. He brings back one pair the next day, one of the five, And as we try them on and I try them on and they fit like a glove, like perfect. He's got the he's got the uh, the rise lowered so they don't feel tight up around your your waist. He's got I mean, everything is just right. And then he's added something. Now, this I didn't request this. I wouldn't even know this was possible he somehow found some suede or some type of leather that's a little different color and a little different texture. And he's got the pockets up top lined with this. So if you put your hand in the pocket, it feels like you've got, you know, it's like a velvet pocket. Like, I mean, it's really, really high quality pants (laughs) and these are the prison issued pants. And so I immediately realized, okay, this is going to make my, stay a little better we're gonna we're gonna adjust all these pants and uh there's a few of us doing this there's not many but there's a few of us doing this so it's time for commissary we do that once a week we get our commissary once a week so I get this guy five for these trail mixes and give him all five and he's very happy like 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 maybe people don't actually pay him like they should because he's excited I made a decision that every time I go to commissary I'm just gonna get him more and and I'm not going to do it quid pro quo where you do pants I give you trail mix. I'm just going to do it because I think Douglas may need this, and and I let him know anything else you need you tell me and I'll get it from him. I'll get it for you from commissary because there's no way you can eat 75 of these trail mixes, which his locker was chug full of them because that looked like the payment everybody was using to pay him. Well, he's tailoring shirts now. He's built me a visitation shirt. I, I, I'm on the outspoken team. And you're not supposed to tailor those shirts, but I tailored the shirt. I had Douglas take it in the dark of night, tailor the shirt so it fit me perfectly. I have, If I'm wearing it, Douglas has tailored it. And he he likes it. He, he likes that I like it. And so we establish a great rapport. Douglas starts coming to me with other stuff, and Douglas wants books to read, and so we start exchanging. Anyway, Douglas and I became fast friends. And, and he made my stay fabulous. I got to tell you, we're inside a federal facility walking a dirt track, wearing really military issued clothes. And Douglas is making it better. Douglas also is in a position to help double stuff a mattress, which is completely improper, but man, you kind of need it. The mattresses we've talked about are so thin that you float right down to the metal bunk. And so all night long you're aching. So Douglas has figured out, because he's got control of the the sewing machine, he can open up a mattress, double-stuff it, and re-sew it. And uh, and so he can do that kind of fast with a hand needle and hand thread. So he brings that stuff back, gets the mattresses all built up nice. And uh, he can do it with pillows too. Open up a pillow double stuff them. And, and then you put your pillow sheet on it and you got to double. So he, D- Douglas is a treasure. And um, anyway, that's just one of the crazy experiences that you can have. I, this is probably going on at every federal camp. I would think so. Uh, not everybody's going to need that or want that, but those that do, it's there. And there's many other little, what we call side hustles or businesses that guys get into there. I had a guy doing my laundry would do underwear, socks, shirts, pants, uh, and then use bounce uh, fabric softener, downy softener, and special detergent, which is not available to us in commissary. He would do all that because he had control of the laundry. This was Chris. Chris had control of the laundry. And so he would wash it, make sure everything was soft, fold it, and if you needed ironing, he could do that, too. He could iron stuff that needed to be ironed. Like if you had pants for outspoken or pants for visitation or pants for church, he could get all that done, too. And so you, he, he basically, I can't even remember the pricing now, but uh, it, it may have been 20 bucks a month. And he did all the laundry all the time. And you never need to worry about it. He would come pick it up and then drop it off. You didn't have to even go up to the laundry to do it. He had pick it up he'd drop it off. And it was always kind of a, a nice, refreshing, exciting thing to see that your laundry had been done. You know, you dr- leave the bag out the night before he picks them all up, brings them all back and you, and you repay him of course, with commissary as well. That's kind of a currency inside is uh they just tell you what they want. And most of these guys want the same thing. And so you just marking the, marking your commissary sheet for the things, you know, Douglas needs or, or, you know, uh, uh, Hector needs or you know that Chris needs or whoever you're doing business with uh, one other side hustle that I took advantage of is once a week you 've got to ready your cubicle for inspection now a lot of guys are neat i'm neat uh, where we keep things kind of tidy but you still need to dust and you still need to mop and you still need to take your trash out and you still need uh, your your bedding done your bedding's got to be laundered and all that stuff and and that's different than Chris's service. This is almost like housekeeping um and there's guys that do that, and I think that's uh that may be twenty bucks a month do and I may have my pricing wrong. The inmates who are listening to this are probably laughing at me because I can't remember the pricing, but I had a really uh good guy doing it for a while, and then he just got a little flaky and would 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 give me reasons why he he couldn't get it done today could he do it tomorrow and you know And I, I just didn't like that. I wanted it to be kind of steady. And so I released him and hired another guy. And that guy was, his name was Will and Will was so solid. Will was a leader, a Lieutenant under Chino, the chef, my chef. And, uh, that, that cooked all my meals. And Will was one of his lieutenants, maybe his top lieutenant. And will also did the housekeeping on many of the guys. He probably had five, six accounts and he was so good so solid so reliable and it, it, one of those things we don't even need to speak to them they just do it and then and then they want to know if you're like i did a lot of reading and writing and if you're in your cubicle they don't want to do it while you're in there so they, just, they come by and they say hey are you going to be out of here in the next 30 minutes because i'd like to do it and then you disappear the track or whatever go to the library um, just, just disappear so they can do their work. And uh, so there's all these little businesses that are in there. Some guys are making desserts on the weekend. I had a guy that was an unbelievable uh, dessert chef. He could make fudge with walnuts, pecans. It was milk chocolate, not dark chocolate. He he literally could make fudge. And it, it, I was so suspicious because I know the ingredients that you have access to from commissary, And so I wanted to taste it to see if it's anything like fudge. And I I gotta tell you, he could sell this at Disneyland. It was that good. And so I was a regular customer of his once a week. I would buy, I think, two cubes of fudge. I would usually give away one and keep the other for myself as a treat. But, uh, so there's really a lot of this going on. Now, all of those are not institution approved. All of those are like inmates, innovatively figuring out how to make a few extra bucks to buy their, their essentials from commissary. These are all just side hustles. Guys have figured out that they're good at and they're gonna get good at it. They're gonna earn business and make a few bucks. One of the approved hustles inside, which is part of the administration's required is the barbershop. And so literally, I usually get my hair cut because I wear my hair short. Uh, Outside, outside of prison, I wear my hair short. I get it cut every two weeks. Every two weeks, uh, I have my hair cut. Amy cuts my hair, and she cuts it every two weeks. And she's cut it every two weeks for a dozen years. And uh, I was worried about that inside. What do I do? Well, guess what? Some of the best barbers on the planet are sitting inside federal facilities. And so uh, the first guy, and by the way, it makes me nervous any time you change barbers. So inside there, we I've got one guy and he's going home in three months. So he's the best. He's cutting white guys' hair. There's white guys' hair. There's black guys hair. You know, different barbers for different types of hair. Well, it's just like a normal barbershop. shop. Guys are sitting around reading magazines and talking and he's working with sharp objects. He's got the the correction officer gives him his toolbox every day when he comes on shift. And he's got scissors, razors, all sorts of, you know, dangerous tools to cut hair and uh it's not perfect you know the 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 instruments are sometimes dull and need to be professionally sharpened there there's some issues with it but listen i found it to be amazingly adequate for what we needed so my guy goes home and when the guy's cutting your hair you know you get to know him pretty good And I always cut my hair the same time every week. So he's leaving and he's training a guy to cut hair. Now this guy already knew how to cut hair, but he's training them on his customers. And you pay them. My guy liked a can of tuna. He wanted a can of tuna to cut hair. That's what he wanted. That's what he ate the protein in a can of star kiss tuna. So I always order a few cans of tuna at commissary to be able to pay my barber. And the new guy wants sweets trail mix, chocolate, nut clusters, candy bars, what this kind of stuff. So the new guy, and by the way, the new guy was better than the old guy. And so he's cutting, he cut my hair the whole time I was there, the new guy after three months, and uh, they were fabulous. And I learned to really like their haircuts. And uh, I'll never forget coming home and going to the barber within a few days, Amy, and having Amy cut my hair, having had it been cut, for 14 months by prison barbers and uh, she was asking me all sorts of questions about who cut my hair. And I said, listen, I know you want real money, but if you would be willing to take Tromix or tuna or candy bars, we could really work out a deal. <laughs> and of course she does, she's, you know, she's not in on that, but it was really interesting that transition from the inside barber cut to the outside pay me real money cut and her to have to kind of restructure my hair based on all the damaging things that occurred to it over those 14 months. But that was an approved institutional job that the guys had was that of a barber. And uh, they did a great job. It's one of those things you don't even think about until you're inside and you're thinking, oh my God, my hair's growing. What are are we doing here? And there's actually a barber shop, So that's kind of cool. This is my life Inside our federal prison, season two of Inside Out. I'm your host, James Catledge. Hey, I want to say this about Steve and his lovely wife, Katie. Um, Steve and I were so close. This is what you do when you're close to another inmate, is you get them to arrange with their family, if at all possible, to do your visits at the same time. So he's in visitation when I'm in visitation, and our families get to meet each other. And so in this case, my mother's there every month and my kids are there every month. And so we arranged for Katie to come. Steve arranges for this. Uh, at the same time, mom's there. And mom and Katie go to dinner in town in Taft and kind of got to know each other. And mom was able to talk to her about visitation and make sure, you know, she's got the right outfit and everything to get in there easily. And then some of the rules and and, uh, and the paperwork, and it just made it easier, you know? And and uh, she did that for a lot of people, my mom, and, and uh, that just gives you some sense of how close Steve and I were in our families, and uh, we just, we just love Steve and his family. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you because I, th- I think that uh, is an interesting insight when you connect the families, and we did that. We did that with Greg, we did that with Chino, Chino was my cook, actually. Chino, we'll we'll talk more about Chino later, but Chino cooked all my meals when I decided that the the, uh, dining hall, it's not a dining hall, I can't remember what they call it. Maybe it's the mess hall or chow hall or whatever. But the food was so bad for you. I decided that, that, and Chino was a great cook, and, and he had shared that with me. He had had a client that he cooked for and I just overheard them, uh, the client was leaving, and the client had paid him, I don't know, maybe it's 50 bucks a month, something like that, to basically buy all the ingredients and then cook two meals a day, maybe one meal a day. In my case, it was one meal a day that I wanted him to cook, and I, I, I paid 50 bucks a month to, to Chino uh, through, through the commissary arrangement. And he cooked, man, he was good. And it just worked out great. And it fortified our friendship. And and I, there'd be a football game and he would want to know if I wanted guacamole and chips for the game. I mean, it was, I mean, this sounds so strange, but it, it, that's what goes on in there. You, you got guys that are excellent at uh, cooking and making desserts and all sorts of fun stuff. And so Chino and I became great friends. Chino was the rep for the Paisa group, which is a Latin group. It's a Latin gang, actually, the Paisas. And uh, uh, Chino was the rep for the Paisas and, uh, and my cook and just a fabulous human being, just a calm, credible personality. And, uh, I mean, he was a, he was a senior guy on the outside and whatever... Uh, gang he was involved with. He was a very senior guy, very trusted, very reliable, and he had shared with me his story, which I will not be sharing on this podcast. But the bottom line is, Fino was an incredible person who had great leadership skills, and uh, it wasn't any surprise to me that he was the PISA's representative or shot caller inside uh, our unit and uh just a great guy and uh the fact he was my cook just just made things real smooth for me i I didn't have to worry about going to the cafeteria i could make my own breakfast oatmeal and then do my exercises come back chino would do my lunch i would have a light dinner and and i ended up feeling like i could eat healthy and stay fit and got myself into a nice routine thanks to chino uh there was a this is interesting regarding cooking once a week, Chino was involved in a religion, a Native American religion, where they got access to literally a barbecue grill. And I'm not sure what, what religious uh, re- reasoning there was behind it, but if you were in this religious group, and there was a few of them, they could go behind the facility where there was a barbecue grill, like, a, like uh, they, they could actually grill hamburger meat, they could grill... Burritos, they could grow carne asada. They could make all sorts of fun stuff at that grill. And once a week, Chino, because of his uh, his working with me on the cooking, he would make my meal back there on that grill. And boy, I looked forward to that. I think it was like every Tuesday or Thursday. Golly, I w- I would like ask him, hey, are you going back there to the, your religious services today? <laughs> and uh, and boy, he would he would come to my locker, get the ingredients necessary. I would buy the ingredients from commissary that he suggested I buy, and then he would just come and get them out of my locker to go make the meals, and we had microwaves, there was a microwave room uh, when you didn't have access to that barbecue grill, and so that, that's how we did it, it was fantastic, so that's a little bit more about my life inside a federal prison, this is James Catledge with Inside Out, welcome aboard.